0: If you're a fan of the 430 movie, you'll love Best Movies Never Made, hosted by myself, Josh Miller. And Steven Scarlatta. Where we explore some of the greatest movies never made, like E.T. 2. Johnny Quest. Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian. And Halloween 3D. New episodes available every other Monday, wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: You must learn to listen to The Rebel and the Rogue,
2: or you will not be allowed to come with me to Alderaan. Need to make a call? Look for a police call box. That's where you'll find Two on Who, the new Doctor Who podcast from Electric Surge. Two on Who is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman, and if you're a fan of the only gentleman secret agent with a license to kill and thrill, you should pick up my new James Bond oral history, Nobody Does It Better, available now in hardcover, audio, and digital wherever books are sold. Do you expect me to read? No, I expect you to buy it.
1: Hey, this is Mark A. Altman and this is Darren Dockerman. We are the inglorious
2: glorious experts. We well, get yeah, it synchronized you got a problem remembering sometime. the name of the show. Yeah. We we'll get it synchronized well, sometime. It, It's Zoom. I mean in the studio we had it down. We were you know it was perfect. More or less we did. Yeah, but now it's out the window. Now it's out the window. It's it's it's, it's just being trapped inside. It's our, we're thinking we're we're like what were they in the uh, Samaritan snare, the pack who were really slow dim-witted guys? That's kind of us now. We used to be sort of, you know, savvy and smart to a certain extent. I don't know how feel about that comment, <laughs> honestly. We make things go. So anyway, <laughs> I want to introduce you to our guests because we have a, a, a great episode here um, with two of my favorite guests making uh, a return to the show. Of course, we have um, the return of Charles Nelson Reilly. Uh, he's become almost a regular Trek expert, but he's still on double secret probation. That's the writer of Thor and X-Men First Class. Uh, writer producer and such so shows as Lore and Terminator the Sarah Connor Chronicles, Fringe, and Black Sales. Ashley Edward Miller. As long as I'm not an irregular, I I'm good with it. Well, You're
3: our, our special guest star, Jonathan Harris,
1: all the time.
2: All the time. That's right. He doesn't have to take that. So, I kind of I, like
0: actually in my view <laughs> you've got we've got four people up top with Ashley on the right and where Charles Nelson Riley always sat on Match Game. Right next to Brett Summers, who was always right next to him. But you're you're, you're probably looked, you were correct in the configuration of it all.
2: You're probably wondering who that voice is. You know him okay. as the executive producer of Twenty Four and Threshold, and uh, he's back. The man. We were lucky enough to have him talk about the anniversary of generations, which was a thoroughly engaging show, and. Uh, and today, uh, we're, we're thrilled to welcome back. He was the uh, showrunner of Voyager, the creator and showrunner for many seasons of Enterprise. He's currently an executive producer on Orville. He got his start on Star Trek The Next Generation. Uh, he survived Terra Nova. It's uh, Brandon Bragg. Welcome, Brandon. Welcome back. Thanks for having me. Okay. Now, this, and giving me something to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is how screwed up the quarantine is. You know, apparently, because you mentioned match game, I guess last week on Twitter, there, there was outrage, this, that week's outrage, over Richard Dawson's kissing women on Family Feud. Now, yeah. those episodes are 40 years old? 40 30, years out of date. Yes. Okay, And Richard Dawson has been dead right. for- Well,
0: I was, I mean, I think we were all waiting for that to happen. <laughs> I mean, it, it, was, it was uncomfortable back in the day that right. he would kiss every woman on the lips. I mean, especially in the pandemic times, you're like, you know, right. no. What are you doing? <laughs> Let's see if it's up there. Richard Dawson kissing.
3: Does <laughs> <laughs> that <sure makes> sense? <laughs> Fuck no. Uh, it's a, it's a little bit the, um, the, uh, the, the outrage equivalent of alcoholics drinking Sterno because they don't have anything else in the house. It's like, shit, what's out there? There's Richard because, Dawson
2: kissing. Or, be, or because their president told them it would kill uh, coronavirus. But it's there you go. Right? Richard great. Dawson like, could kill
3: coronavirus
2: by kissing people. You don't think he'd be the most popular Let's guy? Let's not the party?
1: downplay the tastiness of Sterno. Okay. Yeah, that's true, actually.
2: But you know, I did a little more research on this because that's how much time I have in my hands. And I found out that apparently the producers of Family Feud actually had the women sign releases as to whether or not they wanted Richard Dawson to kiss them. Wow. And apparently 99.9% of the women. Said they wanted Richard Dawson to kiss them, so he wasn't forcing himself on these women. They, they, they wanted to be kissed. He by legally had a right to. That's <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> so, find a document. He was pretty. He was had a rakish charm about him. He did. And, and he was yeah. always the go-to guy on Match Game. He always yeah. connected with the
2: contestants and got got them the bonus round. That's right. Yeah. And he, he was always the guy, the guy
3: that at Stalag Thirteen.
2: He was always the guy they picked on match game because they knew they would win because he was, because he was the smartest. I think also he took it seriously. Right. Like Charles Nelson Riley and, and, and a lot of the others, they wanted the joke. They went for the joke. So they didn't care if they screwed up the Fanny fight. They didn't care if they screwed up the contestant. As long as they could get a zinger in Richard Dawson really wanted to, to help them make some money. It's also fun to watch.
0: He, him chain-smoking for the entire –
2: all the episodes. Well, he didn't
0: smoke on Family Feud, but on Match Game, he's just – there's a big old ashtray right there. There was different times, man.
2: Oh, yeah. my God. I, we were watching some of these old Match Games. This is a couple years ago. We were just obsessed with the Game Show channel. And, you know, people talk about – the you know, they're upset about the kissing. I mean, Gene Rayburn literally talked to this Indian contestant who had a bindi on her head and said – Oh, I, I should get you a washcloth. You have a target on your forehead. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, this is the kind of he would stuff. Be, yeah, canceled. I mean, on Battle Network Starts, Howard Cosell once said about an African American uh, uh, star um, look at that little monkey run. I mean, it was like. Wow. Oh, my God. I, I, I mean, it's horrifying. You know, uh, when we apply the standards of today, to uh, the stuff we grew up on and have such fond memories of, um, and which is not to excuse it, but to also say it was a different time.
3: Yeah,
2: and um, and 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 you know, thankfully, uh, we live in a more enlightened age as we move towards the twenty third and twenty fourth century. See, bringing it a- back. Um, hopefully, yeah, right, yeah. Hopefully, exactly. Um, how have you been doing in this whole uh, quarantine, self isolating? Uh, world that we're living in right now, Brandon? Uh, pretty similar to everybody else, I
0: think. Just feeling like I should somehow be more pro- using the time more productively, and yet the days are flying by. And, um, you know, reading, a little bit of writing, Scrabble. <laughs> you know. I know, it's,
2: I think every writer in Hollywood said, Well, I'm going to come out of this with a spec. You know? and I don't think yeah, anyone's given actually up <laughs> yeah. given up on that. So, I, I mean, it's just the days become weeks, become months. It's uh, it's, it's, it's 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 crazy, but uh, no more crazy. And, I, I, I you know, it's funny. We did a couple of weeks ago. We did the uh, best Star Trek virus episodes. And when it was over, we realized we had missed. And this is one of your shows, probably one of the best Star Trek virus shows and it's the most, fecal, as they say in Yiddish, premises of all time, which is Genesis, where you had the, uh, in- the, had the, the Intron
0: virus. From the darkest age of time, well, a primeval oh. terror is unleashed.
1: Diana, what's happening? She is no longer human. And a deadly transformation has begun. I believe the crew is de-evolving. Now who will survive? How do we reverse the process? I'm uncertain, and who will fall victim to this savage nightmare? Next time on Star Trek: The Next Generation.
2: That's right, and they turned everybody into um, Neanderthals. <laughs> Perfect way to spend quarantine, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, the to, you know—it's hard to fathom the way that your mind thinks and. And uh, and I say that in a good way um, because, of course, you know, it's a wildly entertaining show. And I know the conventional wisdom with the seventh season is you guys were kind of burned out and, um, you know, <laughs> ready to call it a day. I mean, you've been writing the movie and you're writing the finale. And yet, there's still, you know, a plethora of fantastic episodes and just, you know, really offbeat episodes.
0: Yeah, I did. I, I, I. I I got I wasn't burned out till the end of the seventh season, and I, I there was I enjoyed writing. The seventh season was a, a lot of fun, uh, and Genesis is an episode that just absolutely should not w- have worked. It's so preposterous, people turning into spiders and amphibians, and
2: it's just it's. it's but it somehow works. I don't you know. It's so funny because that's an episode that. I could have seen you directing if you were directing back then. Now, it, it, that one, I yeah. know. And it's, it's, it seems like it would not necessarily be a great fit because it, you know, obviously in TV, you don't pair the uh, necessarily the, uh, the director with the material. It's like, whoever comes up on that episode when the, when they get the gig, it's not necessarily um, known what, what script you're going to get. And, uh, but she did a great job. She did. And it was good. You know, having a really enthusiastic first time director
0: is, is a good thing. Um, as yeah, she did a great yeah. job, Michael Westmore, the makeup, our makeup designer, he, he was really the star of that show in my opinion. And, uh, I don't know. And watching Riker be a, becoming slowly stupider is actually, <laughs> he, uh, is really funny. <laughs> he, he was really funny. He did a good job.
2: Uh, you know, and and it's funny because you know I know a lot of people in retrospect said, oh, you know, the women back in Next Generation didn't get enough to do. But you know, you were always writing more so than virtually anybody giving great stuff to Gates. I mean, like Cause and Effect, uh, you know, is kind of you know a Gates show beyond the high concept at all, and she's she's really good in it. Yeah,
0: she's good. I uh, I, I gravitated toward the the more peripheral characters for some reason, just because you know. I mean, I I could have the episode frame of mind where Riker goes crazy. I mean, it could have been any character, but for some reason, it, it was just like let's give him a really great, you know, really good piece of acting to do. You know, what's and one
1: of your what, go, go ahead,
0: what's one of your favorite episodes that you didn't write of Next Generation? Of yeah, of uh... yeah. Well, uh God, there are so many um, that I didn't write that I <laughs> are are just great episodes. Um, I remember thinking at the time, aside from the obvious choices like Best of Both Worlds and you know the, the things that you would pick normally, but I, I was uh, one of my favorite episodes was the next phase where Jordy and Ensign are think they're dead. Right. I just thought that was a at the time, anyway, really well done. Directed by Rob Legato, I think, it was now, you
2: know, it's now the, like the John Dykstra of uh, VFX, uh, amazing. Um, where... But really,
0: th- that was really fun. I remember loving any Barclay episode, but I I really like the one where he, the kind of flowers for Algernon episode, where he became mm. super intelligent, right. It's so a Joe yeah. Minoski script I just remember thinking was great. I can't remember the title of it. And, of course, Darmok. You know, which we knew when we read that script that Joe Minofsky turned in. It was like, holy shit, this is next level. Like, yeah. I, I don't think we, it, Michael Pillar didn't change a word of that script. Like we so- were all blown away by
2: it what's so funny is when a lot of people would have gone, right, you know, you always went left. And I think, you know, Minoski didn't even go right or left. He just like, you know, sort of went up. I don't know. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a, he, he thought so outside the box. I mean, well, he, he just did obliterated that,
0: it. that when we broke out that episode, uh, there was no, we didn't decide what we knew. It was about communication and that, That Picard and this alien would have some kind of language barrier, Mm -hmm. but it was up to Joe to come up with what that was, and he came up with this thing that I don't think any human has ever thought about, which is communicating in metaphor. Right, and it it uh, it really was quite brilliant uh, and stood the test of time as a great episode.
3: It's not just a great high concept; it's also great high emotion. Um, Holy crap! I. I think when I saw that episode for the first time, I was having—I think I can—I can can say with certainty—the worst hangover of my career, and I still cried uh, because um, I just those performances were great. Um, You know, the just the the writing was so great. Like uh, uh, Captain Picard um, telling the story of Gilgamesh and Enkidu, um, you know, fighting the the great bull of heaven together. I mean. That stays with me as like as one of the great moments from uh, Patrick
0: Stewart on that show. It was just there was so much there. That's that's a quintessential next generation episode. I mean, that's top to to me anyway, top five.
1: I would agree, and it, it also harkens back to uh, TOS because this is sort of how Picard would have handled the situation in Arena, you know, mm-hmm. with the with battling the Gorn. It's it's sort of a similar setup. But it's completely, you know, turned on its head, and it's yeah, you know, in a great right.
2: way. Yeah, you're absolutely right. But well, we we're calling this episode Brandon's Quarantine Playlist because you know we didn't want to necessarily specifically, um, uh, you know, talk to him about things he's talked about a million times, right? And 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 the idea is, you know, this is maybe the first time, uh, well, that you know we're we're going to go through something like this, and hopefully the last. Uh, uh, and it, it'd be really interesting to sort of, in, in a way, it's kind of a this is your life. I mean, I want to talk about the some of the episodes, not only that you did, but other episodes, as you asked, uh, you know, episodes you didn't write that, that you have a, a, a fondness for. And, and we'll talk about things beyond uh, Star Trek as well. And I, w- you know, and I want to talk about your career a little bit past Star Trek, because, of course, for so many years, you lived in, quote unquote, this bubble that was Star Trek. And Star Trek dominated a lot. And it was the end of an era of television where um, this, you guys in a way were the studio, the studio didn't have much to say. You didn't have current executives until enterprise telling you what to do. You didn't have the network telling you what to do because there wasn't one really. Um, And you kind of, you know, answered to one man, you know, in Rick and uh, it was so unique and, and you got to do what you wanted and, 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 Obviously, it's stood the test of time because here we are. It's funny, when I was doing 50 year mission, I went back and I was listening to an old interview with Jerry Taylor that I did with her at the time. And she said something about, well, I guess we'll see in 20 years if, you know, the show stands the test of time. Well, here it was when I was listening to that interview, it was 20 years later. And clearly, you know, it had. And like we talk about this like it was yesterday, but it was so long ago. Um, Well, it seems. For me, because
0: I have never stopped talking about Star Trek Right. from the time I started doing it, as I was doing it, and ever since I stopped doing it, it's been a, a, a constant kind of a net. I'm, I'm doing a show that's very similar to Star Trek 2. Um, it doesn't feel like it's ever been out of my life. And so it, 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 it's hard to believe that we're talking about Darmok,
2: and that that was 30 years ago. I I I it's it was absolutely. pretty much 3 years ago yeah because if you look at you know when we were growing up the shows we were talking about you know twilight zone obviously you know in our case the original star trek I mean it was really only 10 20 years later and um there wasn't much you know for, I mean I, we weren't talking about gunsmoke and we weren't talking about maybe you were. we were you know, we weren't talking about uh, a lot of these you no, know
0: there's you know there are certain shows Twilight Zone was one of the first shows that was associated, where the writing was recognized mm-hmm. right, as being extraordinary. Um, you know, even Alfred Hitchcock Presents, which predates The Twilight Zone, um, which is very well written. Yes. Right. Uh, it wasn't until Rod Serling came along. And, you know, for me, and I give credit to Mark Scott's degree for this, he wrote this book, The Twilight Zone, Zone Companion. Mm-hmm. and it opened up a lot of different things for me. I could sit and watch The Twilight Zone with that book I could, and read about the episodes behind the scenes as I was watching it, and it it gave me... It made me realize that I wanted to do that, right. and Star Trek... You know, I think you did something similar, Mark, when you started writing those reviews in Cinema Fantastic magazine. You, Star Trek was now becoming people wanted to know more about it who was writing the episodes how did people how did they think up the episodes what so behind the scenes was happening not 20 years you know later but as it was airing yeah and this you know obviously before the internet so I think that only kind of helped the shows you know um, kind of, I don't know, I can't explain, you know, even even now I, I have troubles th- figuring out why Next Generation is, out of, out of all of them, it seems to be so long lasting. And, and um, maybe you guys can answer that question.
2: Well, it, it's funny, I thought about, and I, I, we won't do this, but I thought about one day doing an episode where I pull out some of those old reviews I wrote back in the day and see how my opinion now compared with the contemporary, ones, the ones I was writing at the time and how my opinion might have evolved. But it seemed somewhat narcissistic. So, um, (laughs) but but I do, you know, you you mentioned how Next Generation endures. It's amazing to me how, if you look at all good things, that, I mean, you should be getting character payments on that because it really paid the way for Picard. And I don't want to really talk so much about Picard other than the fact that it's remarkable that this finale you wrote years ago, what is it now, 20, 25 years ago, mm-hmm. that it, it really provided the template for the show that people were so excited about all these years later.
0: Yeah, no, it's true. It, it's interesting, you know, just to, as a example of a wake-up call to actually how much time has passed is that you can look at Patrick Stewart actually having gotten older versus the Patrick Stewart in old age makeup.
2: Right.
0: And uh, you're like, ah, no. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Not even close. (laughs) Never
0: get gravity right. They never get gravity. Like, there's stuff that happens with the natural forces of of physical forces that you can't do with makeup.
2: Well, isn't that that part of the problem with the Irishman too? That even though in CG, they're able to make Pacino and De Niro and Joe Pesci look younger they still had the gait of an old man you know they still walked yeah. and acted old even though the the CG had sort of transformed them into these younger characters. Yeah.
0: You, yeah no for sure and I think you get to a certain age where that's you probably can't do much about it although I on the topic of old age makeup, I do. Th- there have been some extraordinary examples of it. I think Avengers Endgame had a great old age makeup at the end of the movie. Absolutely. Um, I can't remember what character it was. Was it Captain- oh,
2: for Captain America, Captain America at the America. end? Yeah, oh. you
0: know, Steve, Steve Rogers. And I, and though, though I'm sure they enhanced it, it was really good makeup. I'm like, ah, they're getting this right, you know. I loved... It was a movie
3: that um, Kevin Feige said very explicitly was incredibly influenced by All Good Things. So all these years later, there's Avengers Endgame, which probably
0: would not be in the form that we know it if that episode hadn't existed. Yeah, I mean, it's... I I saw the movie before I heard about that comparison, and it, it never occurred to me for a second. But now that I know that, I can see oh yeah, I was deriving some pleasure from going back and seeing characters when, that were more like when I first met them. Right. Like, the, it, I can see the, how that might have influenced it.
2: But that got to be flattering because, you know, you, you, when you were doing Star Trek, especially in the early days, you know, before the Emmy, it kind of, it got no respect. It was like Rodney Dangerfield. It's so like, oh, that thing in first run syndication, you know, um, particularly in the early stages, people were very dismissive of that. Now you look at, and there's so many people like a Feige who just, um, worship that show and talk about how it was so formative in their, you know, careers and in, 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 you know, their passion for television and storytelling. And it's, it's really remarkable. I mean, that's how I, I met Feige because he was a huge free enterprise fan, but it was like, um, it's, it's, it's amazing uh, the, the way that the perception of Star Trek has changed over the years.
0: And yet there are people that I've met recently who are in their 20s who n- knew who I was and are ravenous Star Trek fans, uh, in particular, Next Generation. And um, there's something about the show. You know, I watch it and I'm like, God, this is slow. No, it's people in rooms. There are no visual effects. We could, like, it's barely, it's not, it's like, and yet it's, it's, there's something about it. It's the actors and I don't know. And it was well, it was well-written. And, you know, you got to hand it to Michael Piller who really, you know, came in and transformed that show
2: um, in its third season. You can never, you know, understate the importance of Michael, you know, for, 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 you know, all the battles people had with him. I mean, he saw talent and, and uh, shaped it and nurtured it and mentored it. And uh, I mean, had Michael Wagner stayed and not had his nervous breakdown, you know, and Michael came on. I don't know if that show would have gone the distance. I don't, it certainly wouldn't have been the show that Michael turned it into.
0: It's, it's really fascinating because I, I remember watching the first, the pilot when it aired, back when you had to watch things as they aired. Yeah. Of course, I, think I watched it like three in the afternoon. Syndication was so weird. Yeah. But, uh, and then I saw the next episode and the next episode. I'm like, this is not for me. Like, I, I never watched the original series. I'm like, but I wanted maybe this would be my Star Trek, you know. But then I was in college at UC Santa Cruz and I just, overheard my roommates, one of my roommates saying, no, it's really good. You should be watching it. Hmm. And I'm like, what are you talking about? They're like Star Trek the Next Generation. I'm like, that's terrible. But the show's, that's not good. And they're like, no, it got good. And it's just, that was happening everywhere. Hmm. Um, and that's why the show gained traction. And suddenly, you know, I don't remember what the ratings were back then, but I'm sure they were astronomically huge compared to today. Yes, you know, and, absolutely. Uh, and um, it, you know, by the time "Best of Both Worlds" Part One aired, that just took it through the stratosphere, and now everyone was talking about it because no one did cliffhangers back then. That was like this new thing, you know. Yeah. And uh, it was it was fun to to come in to the show right around that time,
2: right? Because you weren't. A- story editor yet but you were an intern at the time you were a TV Academy intern right when- an intern, eight week internship um, I
0: almost they almost put me on some sitcom that never went anywhere and then there was next generation I was excited because I I had heard how good the show was and the and the and and I remember sitting down to watch uh, best of both worlds because that it was on and my internship was starting that week oh, that's interesting and um i'm like wow that was that was pretty great and that was my first introduction to the borg and then i went to the, my internship was ushered into michael pillar's office and he was hunched at his keyboard on a computer the computers that had the amber monitors
2: yeah yeah
0: and uh, uh, we introduced ourselves and he says ah i'm trying to figure out how to beat the borg let me know if you have any ideas on how to how to beat the borg <laughs> he was writing this uh, part two that I had just seen part one of. It
2: was pretty, pretty cool. I, um, uh, you know, it's amazing because when you think about it, I don't think there was anything that had captivated people the way, since like Empire Strikes Back, where you had three years of people talking about who is the other? Is he really his father? Is he lying? You know, And, 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 and- And is Harrison Ford coming back? Right, right. Are they ever going to get Han Solo out of carbon, Carbonite? And and, and and Best of Both Worlds had people talking again. That was the amazing thing. They were talking about Star Trek, and they were wondering. I, I, I remember very vividly people talking about, oh, is Patrick coming back? You know, is right. Riker going to be the captain with Shelby? Um, and, uh, it you know, it's exciting that people are having those kind of conversations and so invested in the, in the show, particularly when, um, you know, the first... The second season, the conversation more often than not was wow, could you believe how bad that was, you know, last week.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I, I hesitate to speak disparagingly about right other people's writing and certainly writing that was going on before I got there. But um you've got to hand it to the actors. Um for keeping doing a good a, a really good job. Like Patrick Stewart even in the weakest episodes in seasons I worked on uh, could elevate anything. We, you know, give him a, a, a Denny's menu to read. Like yeah. he, he kept it together. Captain Picard kept it together. That I, Denny's menu
2: episode was pretty good though. You have to admit. <laughs> um, so when you look back and I, because I want to talk about the other shows too, what are some of your other, maybe some of the thing uh, uh, people talked about, cause and effect a lot. It shows up a, a lot on these uh, top 10 lists that people do. You know, what are some of your personal well, I have you to tell know, you, feelings? I
0: gave some thought to this thinking you wanted me to talk about my favorite quarantine themed episodes. Mm. Oh, now that's fine too. But, uh, the, I'll just name one. Cause it's probably the best quarantine. You know, you might think remember me would be a good quarantine episode. Mm. Um, or, uh, Maybe you'd think, but really the best is is cause and effect because that's how mm-hmm. we're all feeling right now. Yeah, it right. does feel like we're living the same day over and over again with no end in sight and no point in sight. Yeah. It, so that would be my quarantine choice for a uh, next generation.
2: But, um,
3: so we're all becoming screenwriters is the thing.
2: Yeah i hadn't thought about that but remember me is a good quarantine episode
1: next time on star trek the next generation a helpless dr crusher watches all her friends and family vanish
0: they're all gone
1: an unexplained force leads to an invisible massacre
0: there are now over 900 missing
1: confusion turns to desperation
0: i need you to tell me if i've gone completely mad
1: is it a deadly mind game or a real life nightmare on star trek the next
2: generation Um, and again, another, another good episode, you know, for Gates, um, uh, you know, It it was great. Yeah. Yeah. That, I think next generation
0: was just, was also just, it's so experimental in some ways. Like there was really good science fiction going on there. Yeah. You know, there was great kind of socio political stuff you know, with Worf and all that stuff, there was, there were, there were a lot of different things that that show could be. And, uh, and that's something that Seth MacFarlane talk, talks a lot about on the Orville because the the network really struggled a little bit with Orville first, because I think they thought it would be uh, the Ed and Kelly show. Right. Uh, like, uh, mad about you in space, perhaps. Right. Mm-hmm. Seth's so like, no, this is, every episode's gonna be different in tone and storytelling and characters will be focused on differently in different episodes. And it was, I think, the next generation influence where you,
2: you never really in, knew what you were gonna get when you tuned in. Well, you've called it an anthology show, which is true. You said that you know many times before that, yeah, a, a recurring characters, but an anthology format. Well, that's how I had to think about it because I was
0: terrified at the prospect of writing the show because it was just it just seemed impossible to do as a as a young fledgling writer. So I would gravitate to stories that I knew I could do, and you know, cause and effect it's a turned out to be very popular at the time and very popular over the years, but it's a very shallow episode. Like, there's not a, a tremendous amount of character development. or anything. There's a little bit, just enough. Right, and, right. And the characters are who they are and they're, but it's not deep. <laughs> you know, it's because... Right. It's high concept. I mean, but... High, uh... it, it's high concept. And, and at the time, of course, there literally were people who thought the broadcast was malfunctioning.
2: Right. Right.
0: And and we're calling the TV station, as people sometimes did, I guess, back then, uh, to say something's wrong. You're repeating the same stuff over and over. And that, to me, was a real compliment because it meant we were doing something highly experimental. And NextGen really, I think, was good at that.
2: Well, you know, it's interesting when you talk about Star Trek as an anthology show, because it makes me think of something I hadn't thought of before, which is, you know, a lot of people who have have observations about the new shows, they're all serialized. And one of the things that Star Trek was so successful at um, is being an anthology show. Even when Deep Space Nine leaned into serialization and Voyager, to a certain extent, Enterprise had its moments when you were doing, you know, particularly in that last season where you're doing sort of the the Troika, you know, for budgetary reasons. But it still was an anthology. And and I wonder if by going the serialized route, it's sort of getting away from what the the, the fundamentals, so to speak, what makes Star Trek work.
0: And I think it was a very conscious choice on, on Seth and Farland's part to make the Orville an anthology show. And I was so grateful to be writing something like that again. Right. Um, I missed it and it had been a long time. Right. You know, um, most of the stuff I'd been doing since then was serialized, um, highly so in the case of like 24. And to be able to sit down and write Come up with a, a cool, high-concept idea and execute it with with a cool beginning and and an ending. Right. right. Coming up with endings was refreshing. That's the thing coming that coming up that, with the that, right that, ending, you know. Right. That's the thing that comes up to me as
1: a as the only non-writer in this bunch, um, is that the uh, the serialized uh, shows are a little bit the uh, in structure. In that each episode sort of it may have a it may have an ending it may not but the great thing about um, about anthology is that it forces you to focus what the what the beats of the story are and have them hit and have them uh, compacted into an, an efficient unit and that is just missing in uh, most of a lot of today's TV.
0: Yeah, it's and it's also like the that kind of storytelling. I think it's. I mean, you look at Law and Order. I was just watching an old Law and Order night, It's like my God, that show's been on, has been on, since. Right. It, it didn't go off the air. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. And so it's like, what? What is it about it? It's just a story, a, an episode well told. that has a, this very clever structure of a, of a murder and and the and the trial. Right. I, I like it. It may seem old fashioned, but I think it's kind of, you know, and I haven't seen Picard. Um, and I don't think, though, I've seen a little bit of it. It does seem to me like that kind of needs to be serialized. Like, it, you're, you're not really going back to like, 10 episodes, how many episodes were, that, were there? 10. 10 hmm. Let's tell 10 episodes of, of Picard's life with a new adventure each week. Yeah. Like, it, it's not what it is. Um, but I kind of wish Discovery was a little more like that, mm-hmm. right? Right. To say what they're doing isn't good. It's just um, I'm kind of hungry for a return to that kind of story, and I guess that's what the Orville provides.
2: Yeah, and obviously that's something you have embraced in Orville. And I, you know, look, I, I'm a fan of Orville, and I have to say that I think you know we talk about best of both worlds. That you know your episode when we're doing the brand and quarantine playlist is, um, you know, identity was like the best of both worlds of Orville. I mean, it's, it, it's really, really good. You know, it stands up there with, you know, the best of Next Generation, in my, you know, my feeling was.
0: Well, it's funny you mentioned that. I don't know if we've talked about this, but very briefly, I remember when we were uh, conceiving that story, that I said this, I said that very same thing to Seth. I said, this is kind of a, a this 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 is the watershed moment for Orville. It's kind of it's it's best of both worlds moment. But it could go either way in this case, because we're taking a, a, a main character and doing something very different. And, yeah. and people might reject it. Um, but yeah, I said the same thing. I felt the same way. Fortis, get the Orville out of here. Alert the unionist. That- Captain. Captain, can you hear me? We're losing main power engines, too. Some kind of dampening field. Commander, every hatch and airlock on the ship just opened up. We're being boarded. Begin decryption of all security lockouts. Taught him everything you know, huh? deploy all forces set course for Earth
2: yeah and I mean and it, and it really uh, it really delivers H- how, how do you feel being on Hulu is, is is affecting the show the change from Fox is it freeing you up more do you feel you're gonna it be was, it was push the envelope more
0: it was something Seth was adamant about. And he, you know, did a lot of behind-the-scenes cajoling to get it moved to Hulu. And I because I think he felt, const- you know, constrained by the network format. A lot of good stuff was ending up on the cutting room floor. Mm-hmm. And he wanted the freedom to really, more than anything, uh, have more running time and not have to have a... Sp- you know, five, six act structure at exactly forty-four minutes or whatever it was. Like that was probably the main reason he wanted to move it there. Um and we're halfway done shooting. I do it 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 did impact the way we scripted the show. We stopped writing with acts, act breaks and stuff, and became less concerned about, you know, how long the scripts were and just it it, it was kind of liberating, you know the show didn't get raunchier in the show. The show is what it is. Right. You no know, we didn't, right. not more violent. Uh, I think there is a little bit more swearing, but for, for a reason, not just arbitrarily. Um, uh, like, I don't know why they had to say fuck on Discovery. Still <laughs> baffled by that one.
2: Yeah. I think um, you're, you're not alone on that one.
0: But that's just my old fashioned Star Trek self-talking.
2: But, uh, um, did yeah. you, ha- were you able to sort of, how did you balance? Um, do be, you obviously, you know, you're an executive producer, you directed a bunch of episodes, you wrote a bunch of episodes of Cosmos, which is sort of a, you know, a really monumental achievement. Both both series, you know, now the second one is aired. How, you know, were you able to juggle that with, with um, your responsibilities on Orville or do yeah. you kind of have to?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, everything balances out. Like when I was right, I would... Fortunately, yeah, it's it was kind of crazy, but you know, I, I would work on Cosmos the first half of the day and Orville the second half of the day. Right, right.
2: They weren't. Uh, so, there was a very little overlap in terms of the time they were filmed, so it it all worked. It's interesting. You talked about a uh, next generation watching them now. It feels you know slow. Obviously, there's not a lot of camera movement. There, the the pace of the editing. I, 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 I do think, however. For, that the remastering a few years back really helped. The new color timing oh, wow. is, is stunning. It really is. Um, so okay, so we talked we talked about next. Year. Well, you know what? We got to talk about. Come on, we got to talk about Sub Rosa, right? Yeah. Another had, walking had, away. Another game. Yeah, now back. he's out of here. Okay. <laughs> how, do you, how, do, how, how, how do you convince? How did you get? How did you get that made? The episode. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, I know it's the seventh season, and so sort of the, well, the, you know, and it's we just... never
0: set out to do a bad episode. We never sat and if we ever sat and were breaking a story and said this is a bad, ter- if this is terrible,
2: we would stop breaking it and try something else. And again, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm saying it's crazy. You know, well, if I was going to say bads, I, I would go to masks. But right. you know, I just think well, Sub Rosa uh, is Gonzo. So, bros, you
0: know, my, the origins of that idea was I was, I've been a, I'm a big fan of uh, Turn of the Screw by Henry James, yeah. and I'm a big fan of uh, the adaptation, the Jack Clayton adaptation with Deborah Carr, The Innocents, the movie. And I wanted to do my version of Turn of the Screw with Beverly. Uh, I don't remember the episode terribly well except to say it was fun to write and I was excited about it and it just really was when you look back at it it, it's so harebrained the idea of a colony of Irish people because they want to recreate that culture on another world is very original series in some ways I could argue Uh, that but um. It has the single worst line of dialogue I've probably ever written um, about this ghost saying I can travel along the something or other beam. <laughs> so it's the, this, this, I can't remember what it was, but um, yeah, it didn't turn out good. It it but we, I had lofty ambitions. It haunts her in her sleep, Beverly,
1: a terrifying presence who wants her soul. Stop! and will kill anyone who stands in his way. We'll be together. Always. Now, will his seductive power take possession of Dr. Crusher?
0: I'm leaving Starfleet.
1: Or can she escape his deadly clutches? Come on, Beverly. We've got to get out of here. Next time on Star Trek The Next Generation.
2: And the first Star Trek orgasm, you know, first time yeah. on Star Trek. So and I mean, I mean look,
0: Gates yeah. was really into it. You know, she was excited because it was you know, you know it was a big episode for her. Right. Right. You know. Well, um,
3: the the opposite end of that spectrum is so so that was an episode. Look, nobody sits down to to make anything bad in this town, really, ever. <laughs> um, but sometimes we we start in on projects, and you know, we always have the highest hopes, and then we're thinking, we look at the script, and I'm like, oh, this is going to be dogs vomit and then you know the dailies come in, it's dog vomit, and then you cut it together and it's amazing. I mean, can you think of examples of episodes that just came together from things that you were positively certain were not gonna
0: work? Um, not a lot, I, you know, we usually, I mean, there are some things that, I remember a script called Invisible Friend or something, um, that I had to rewrite about an or imaginary friend. Yeah. And I'm just like, this, it was one of the first rewrites that I did and Puller handed it to me and I'm like, this isn't a great idea um, to begin with, <laughs> you know? And I did the best I could with executing it, but I just thought, eh, let's hope this is really well directed and cast. And it wasn't great. It, it kind of turned out exactly as I thought it would, which is just a bullseye of mediocrity. Mm. Um, and then, you know, I think about an episode that I didn't think was bad, but I wasn't entirely sure cause and effect was going to work.
1: Mm.
0: I don't think any of us were sure that you could sustain this drama of things repeating themselves over and over again. It was such a weird script to read. But Jonathan Frakes took it to another level in the way he approached the material director from a director's point of view. He just shot each iteration a little bit differently. He just did a great job and it worked. Caught in an endless time loop. We could have been trapped here for hours,
1: days, maybe years. Unable to remember the past. How did it happen? How did we get there? A starship collision lies dead ahead. We
3: have to get out of here now.
1: Can the crew escape their own destiny?
3: Casualty reports coming in from all over the
1: ship. Or will time tick towards their final hour? All hands abandon ship! On Star Trek The
0: Next Generation. And that's a good sign usually when you're not sure if a a script is kind of daring in that way. But um, I can't think of an example of something that we thought was going to suck and turned out not.
2: Well, we, we talked about this on the show before, but, you know, what people forget is you guys were doing 26 episodes of television, 26 hours of television a year. Uh, you know, now people are, you know, are exhausted if they're doing 13. They say, well, oh, you know, oh, we really should have gotten 10 or 8, you know. and um, uh, By the way, when uh, the show I did Salem, 20, I think it was
0: 30 episodes, 30 some, 35 episodes or something total. So the whole right, run for this WGN, year, mm, like
2: yeah. the
0: whole thing was, was so 26 episodes a year, man, you know, vacation time, when we got a break, it was two weeks, like in a, a good old fashioned, traditional two week vacation. And we were back at it and you had to feed that machine. Production didn't shut down. We never in, the, in my entire time on Star Trek, never shut down. And that was the fear we all had. Like, we're going to run out. We're going right. to fuck up. We're gonna to have to shut down, but we never did. And it's it's a lot of hours a year, and you try to make each one unique and great, and but they,
2: it's 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 hard. Well, you had your fair share of crazy weekends and a couple of episodes of gang bangs with the the, the whole staff having to come in and take oh an yeah act and but you got it, but you got it done.
0: Yeah, and yeah. and there are some classics. There are some howlers, mostly the ones I've done, and there were. You know, somewhere in betweens, um, but
2: you always always interesting. But I was gonna say, you know, you're being self deprecating, but at the same time, you were the guy who was always swinging for the fences with the crazy, you know, ideas. I mean, Genesis could have easily been a train wreck, right? Yeah, but it wasn't. It was great, you know. And and um, there's so many episodes, and it's like that. That's why Star Trek was always interesting because it was you guys, you're, you're pushing it, you know showing how elastic it could be pushing the envelope of star trek and i think you know particularly now when you look back you realize that that you know the kind of risk that's why i'm not willing to dismiss like the first season and the second season as much as some people because as bad as those episodes were they did some really crazy things some that paid off and some that didn't but they definitely took risks even if they didn't know they were taking oh there's some great episodes in there you know you know with the I
0: think the board, uh, the Q who episode is—that's great—is mm-hmm. like, you know, I mean, it was really an amazing episode. Yeah, really left a mark. I mean, it had a—it was so that, that I think that also kept the show going because you knew that there, that, you know, there could be. I remember, I remember watching Code of Honor, thinking, "Oh, this was a cool, this was a cool episode." I don't know how it holds up no not Code of Honor what was the we're one talking
2: that- about Heart of Glory Heart of Glory, Heart of Glory. Big yeah. Wharf episode the, yeah
0: Heart of, Glory. Of Heart,
2: of Glory. Heart of Glory I knew what you were talking about because I knew <laughs> there was <laughs> of no way the horrible <laughs> one
0: yeah <right>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, Heart of Glory I remember watching it when it first came out I'm like oh okay that's cool they did Klingon stuff yeah you No, know, so you know, it it did have its its share so, uh, the, the conspiracy episode I love it was you know like oh this is this is cool, and then what happened? They just dropped. I guess
2: they just Rick didn't like it. Ray Rick got a Rick little hated scared, and and so they never followed up on it. You know, because it was straight straight up invasion of the body snatchers right. or puppet masters, all that stuff we love as horror I, fans. But I don't know why they didn't at least do an ep- an episode following up on. it. But then and the chain. Did you that? <laughs> <laughs> The changeling sort of became, yeah, that has you all over it. I don't know why you didn't do a sequel to <laughs> conspiracy heads blowing up and scanners and all that shit. Yeah. yeah the um, it was pretty good. Pretty graphic. Especially on video at the time. Um, so let me ask you a question because, you know, you talk a lot about, you know, Michael, obviously being a mentor and, um, you know, sort of mentoring, not only you, but, you know, Ron and, and Renee and Noreen and, and, and so many, so many of the team, um, but in a way now, how, you know, you're sort of paying it forward because, of course, Terry, who was your assistant, Terry Mattelis, was Metallus, is, uh not only went on to do 12 Monkeys, but now is running Picard. I mean, yeah. he really is the next generation. It's kind of uh, funny. that, and, and, and it must make you feel good to sort of know that you've sort of obviously imparted some wisdom and, you know, that, that's now taken oh, the next generation, in a sense. Well,
0: Terry, Terry and I were together for eight years. Like that's a long time, and um, but Terry, uh, no Terry's just really talented, and I'm um, I, I, I remember I was in uh, Halifax, Nova Scotia, filming a movie when he, I got a call from Terry out of the blue. I hadn't talked to him in a year, year and a half, and uh, he was calling to tell me uh, he hadn't even told his wife yet that he got the Picard a job running card mm-hmm. and I I it was strange but so heartwarming like I was so proud of him and um, and like and and I know he's gonna do a great job I know mm-hmm. he is and by the way I'm happy too for Star Trek mm-hmm. personally because now you have someone with the you know with the DNA in him yeah, like he's got he's and and there is something to be said to the fact that Star Trek has gone through generations of writers and it kind of belongs to everybody but there are certain people who were there when gene was there mm-hmm. and carry an original seedling of of what it is and what is supposed to be and and Terry has that
2: and I you think guys too. you guys learned a lot over those those time, about what worked, what didn't, what quote-unquote is Star Trek, what isn't Star Trek. And, you know, it, it's sort of that old Santiana axiom. You know, those are for the past or condemned to live it. And it's like to embrace... Not that Star Trek should be what it was when you guys were doing it, but to learn the lessons, good and bad, the same way that it was important when you were doing the show to understand what those people who did the original series were going through. Not to imitate it, but to just know... You know and and it's as you said, it's great that Terry was there, and he was in a lot of those rooms and and and, and hearing those conversations and 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 but
0: but when i when I got to, to next gen, Gene was still there, mm-hmm. Roddenberry and it was I wasn't figuring anything out. no one was like pillar was in charge of the writing, the writing had stabilized. But, but remember, when I got there, it was Pillar and Ron Moore. Like the staff, for whatever reason, there was no writing staff anymore, and and yet, even as Pillar was assembling a new staff, it was very clear what what Star Trek was, and what it was, what it could be at its very best it wasn't always easy to achieve because Gene was there, Rick was always a very studious protector of Gene's vision for the show. And I never doubted for a second what the show was supposed to be. Right. Um, and that's a show where humanity has, Earth is, got got its act together and humanity got its act together. And the conflict was all about um, situations they would encounter metaphorically and other aliens. And if, you know, Next gen used to get knocked for not, you know, their characters don't have conflict. Like, this, come on! I'm like, write another show. That's not what this show is. Write something else. Mm -hmm. Don't try to make this into something it's not. And what Pillar did that was so that that was a real magic act was he was able to find the situations that could really put the characters in conflict. I remember in particular a season three episode. Where Worf needed to give his DNA to save a Romulan or something—the yeah, enemy, his yeah, yeah. blood, yeah—and yeah. it's one of the great Picard conflict scenes, you know. And so there could be conflict
1: yeah.
0: among the characters if you really earned it. And there was a, it, and it wasn't petty, and it wasn't neuroses and the usual primate stuff. If you want the usual primate stuff, you could watch. A, a cop show or, or any other show on
2: TV, that, that the integrity of the show had to be maintained. And what you know? is amazing to me is Star Trek was not only able to comment on the issues contemporaneous when when it was made, but it really stands the test of time in anticipating. I mean, I was watching recently, don't ask me why, Terra Nova, right? And uh, not your not your show, Terra Nova, the, the, the finale, the, the, the um the penultimate episode of uh Enterprise. And it's amazing how resonant that is with what's going on today, not necessarily fifteen years ago, twenty years ago when you were making it, but actually how relevant it is today. And it's almost a better episode now. Um
0: relevant and
2: what because way? of in in terms of xenophobia and in terms of America first, you know, in this case it was Earth first, right? Um, and you know, obviously, you know, and Peter Weller is, is very hypocritical in that you know episode because yes. uh and 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 uh, it's 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 actually a really terrific two parter. I, I know you said on other occasions that should have been the finale and not these voyages, but um, it, it's very interesting because you're watching it through a. Di- lens the same way people say when you watch i forget the two-parter future tense on deep space nine about the homeless encampments it's a very different you you watch it now it's very different than when you were watching it back in the 90s but i I, you know
0: And, and 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 that's what science fiction can do is you can explore ideas uh that you might not be able to explore uh so well in a contemporary show, either because the issue isn't that much of an issue, or because the issue is too too sensitive, and there's no really good way to handle it, you know. And you can explore topics like love in unusual ways, like the host, the another Beverly, good Beverly Crusher. a lot of good Beverly Crusher episodes um, where you know she's confronted with you know what is love, and what is it? Is it physical? Is it mental? Is it both? It, it just can't really do it with traditional storytelling. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah.
2: And, and, it's and, and, and,
0: and they kind but. of well they become kind of timeless too because there's nothing and it's one of the great things about Next Gen 2 is you know there were many tenants that Gene set in place and one of them was the way the characters talked. There was to be no contemporary slang. Right. They had to have this, and it was a hard show to write for, for some people. It's hard to get the voice right because they're you don't want them too formal, but they are kind of formal sounding. Um, and as a result, there's nothing to date the show, except mm-hmm. its look, it, because it was, it was shot on 35, and that's where your point, I think, is very well taken. The remastering brought it into the modern age.
1: Absolutely. Uh,
0: because it was shot on a, a movie quality 35 millimeter Kodak stock. Um, but the costumes, the writing, there's really nothing to date it. Maybe the visual effects.
2: Yeah, I think also, I don't know if Marvin Rush was involved with the, uh, the color timing of the new, or they, they've been, it's a little darker too. It's not as bright and it's certainly not as muddy as when you watched it on a CRT TV. Uh, I, do you ever like? I'm curious, and then we should wrap things up. It didn't really become the brand in quarantine episode. It's more of a remembering next generation episode, but that's okay too. Yeah. Um, do, do you ever like, like, when you're on Netflix with nothing to watch, or you're sitting at home? You ever throw on an old episode? Are you one of these people who can watch your old work, or, or do you sort of like once it's done, it's done, you know, and you have no interest in revisiting it?
0: I tend to watch something when I finish it a lot as I'm making it. And then when it airs and I enjoy it and then I, I I, it's, it's, it's over. I have gone back on Netflix to look at a couple of episodes for some research purposes for Orville. Um, It's a, you know, it's a mixed feeling, you know, it's like, ah, God, that's bad dialogue or, you know, um, but then some of it, you know, I was, Tuning in, we haven't really talked about Voyager, but I was watching a clip uh, from Voyager from uh, an episode called Year of Hell, and it was Jane. And I was just curious to look at Kate Mulgrew, and um, I'm like, my God, this is really good. Like, this is good. The writing's good. She's good. It looks good. There are a lot of camera moves in for like Voyager had a lot of camera work
2: actually you could tell it was evolving technically it was a,
0: totally yeah. and i'm and i started getting involved in immersed in it it'd been so long i haven't seen it since it aired i'm like i don't know what's going to happen next i just i didn't remember it. i'm like oh it's <laughs> oh, got a it goal cool. um but it, it's it's you know i talk
2: about the episodes all, all the time i don't go back and watch them right well, I definitely think at some point we have to talk. You know, especially Voyager just celebrated the 25th anniversary, and, and I don't know if we talked about this during generations, but you know, Netflix released their viewing figures, and the most watched Star Trek series on Netflix is apparently Voyager, and it has Somebody a whole passionate following. So, um, uh, and, someone and gave and,
0: uh, me the, t- the top 10 list, and I think eight of them were Voyagers. Like it was, it was nuts. In, in I don't really have an explanation for it, except to say, when I think about my cousin Paul, he grew up, he's he's 32, 33, he's 33 now, and he was a kid, he was a kid when, that was his show. Voyager was his, like, he he re-watches that show constantly, Mm. like, just from the beginning, Mm -hmm and he just goes through it. And um, he's probably that person. It's people like him probably, you know?
2: Well, it's it's also interesting because of course, you know, they say your favorite James Bond is the James Bond you grew up on, which explains why people, some people love Timothy Dalton, right? So, um, you know, it's the same thing with Starship Captains or Star Trek shows, to a large extent, your favorite Star Trek show is the show you grew up on. Not always, but in most cases.
0: I, I my first Bond picture. I've got a B- Bond poster right here. As a matter of fact, for your eyes only. There you go, Roger. Oh, nice, it's
3: a great poster.
0: But uh, you know, I know I'm supposed to like Sean Connery the best. I'm, I know that. I've been told that. I can see that. But <laughs> I like Roger Moore. I'm sorry. I know it's.
2: Well, it's funny you say that because it, uh, you can't see my office because I'm in the virtual recording studio. But uh, I have a few eyes Only and an Honor Majesty's Secret Service and a spire Love Me. Well, wait There's... a second. Okay, now wait a second. Which eyes Only do you have?
0: Which... I have
2: a different one to you. I have the, the the one where it's Roger Moore, the old Starlog cover, where he's between her legs with the harpoon gun firing well, at... Well, uh... that's, that's what I have. Yeah, but, but I have the... Um, I don't have the. Um, I have the. What what is it called? The yeah, uh, the vertical the, version. I have the vertical ah. version. And which spy um, I love me do you have? Um, the spy love me is that great. Um, uh, that great Bob. It's not yeah. Bob Peake. It's a Robert McGinnis, I think. I have, I have, think. have Robert McGuinness, the, yeah. the big three sheet hand, of it,
0: but I have that poster framed, and you know, the spy love me was my first Bond picture that I saw, and I, I saw it you know twelve times in the theater. And it was just on recently, and I was watching it, and I'm like, there are parts of that movie that are really bad, like, but some
2: of it's just great. But you love it. Yeah. I and, love The Spy I Love Me. I yeah, mean, it's my favorite I, Roger Moore Bond movie. Oh, um, without question. Now, ha- have you read that wonderful new book about oh, James Bond, Nobody Does It Better, The Oral History of James Bond? Have no. you gotten that? I, oh, I haven't you no. haven't seen it. No. I'm gonna to have to send you a copy. How is it? How is it? I wrote it. It's great. Oh, it c it, it came out in February, which shows you what a crappy job the publisher is doing. If somebody like you who's such a big bond no. fan, has no idea no. that it's out. Mark, a pandemic happened. Yep. I know, but when still book, no. I got a new book out. What pandemic? Pandemic. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs>
0: I I, I want to own a hard copy of that, though. I'll order
2: it on Amazon. You you dig it the most. In fact, I would get it to you, but it probably gets you quicker if you order it on Amazon. Yeah, I, I'd rather support you and, and buy the book. But uh, but um, I'm really happy with it. It's my favorite book since Fifth Year Mission. It, oh, and and uh, I think you'd love it because I know you're a huge Bond fan. Oh, I'm a huge fan. I don't Bond. know why I... I always remember you and Ron bitching about the beginning of Goldeneye and how stupid the motorcycle catching up with the plane was. And I don't know <laughs> I don't know why. I mean we we had that conversation like thirty <laughs> years ago. But um,
0: Well that's and that's I, I must say I'm I'm really hoping that I get to see the new Bond movie on the big screen. I think we all are. I, I, I really do not want to watch are. Bond on my TV my T V set. Sorry.
2: Uh, I'm more worried that, I guess, um, Marvel pushed Black Widow to the week before Bond. And I'm worried that the, you know, it's a very expensive, the Bond movie is very expensive. And the fate of MGM United Artists is kind of hinging on how it does. I'm really hoping it makes some money. Because now, you know, it's sort of a demolition derby around Christmas. With, um, you know, half, almost the entire summer being pushed into Christmas. And then the movies that were already coming out for Christmas.
0: I mean, some of them are going to drop on streaming either quickly simultaneously or just as a you know new release i I have to believe but you know i don't want to see top gun maverick on my tv and i don't want to see the new bond picture on my tv
2: yeah ashley was very upset because he had to watch trolls world tour on his tv and it just wasn't the same
3: no it really wasn't especially you know (laughs) since i had to watch it over and over and over and over and over again on my tv I didn't enjoy it nearly as much as I
2: thought I would. <laughs> so if, if, if you're not watching, if you're not watching your own stuff, which is, is good, at least that's what you should say, um, what are you watching during this quarantine? Like, what are some of the things, I mean, people don't, most people who know your work know you're a huge horror fan even though you're famous for all this science fiction genre, uh-huh. but but uh, what, what have you been watching lately? What have you been enjoying? So much stuff.
0: So, I mean, a lot of it, garbage. Um, I watched Tiger King, I'll get that out of the way. Uh <laughs> as we all did. Uh first thing I watched actually. Um I just finished uh the fourth ep- of the fifth ep- the episode of the Atlanta Child Murders documentary on HBO.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh which is excellent. Um what did I? W- uh I watched the three and a half hour director's cut of Das Boot. Oh nice which I have the 1981, you know, German, you wrote movie. And it riveting, like I couldn't tear my eyes away. Three and a half hours was enough. It's such Mm -hmm. a great movie released today. And it's just, it's brilliant. And the model work of the subs underwater and even above water is so good. And it just, it it really, it made me think I'll start. I started thinking about model and I, I rewatched um Casino Royale mm-hmm. with the uh
2: the 67 version
0: with the uh, Dan- and David Dan- <laughs> Daniel Craig, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and that great
2: final sequence of the collapsing houses and the canals. Some yeah. of the best miniature work I've ever seen. It is unbelievable and that you, that is a miniature. It's yeah.
0: oh, I thought I, I'm i like, how, where'd they find these houses to, to mm-hmm. blow up? Right? It's it. I wish there was more miniature work because it's expensive and time consuming, but man, you know, it's really cool. I rewatched The Spy, Love Me. I, I told you that already. Nice.
2: And I and I became, God, I'm trying to, th- I watched the yeah, I mentioned I have a new book out called Nobody Does It Now?
0: Oh, I'm gonna order, <laughs> I'm ordering that tomorrow. And I just watched a lot of, I'm really into like sh- these prison shows like 60 days in or locked up, extended stay. Prisoner of
2: cell blockage.
0: And it's kind of like, maybe it's because
2: we're all prisoners. It's you're quarantined. Yeah. But. but you're quarantined with Postmates. They don't have that at Chino. No. You know, well, it's I like discovered
0: they... uh, this app called Goldbelly. Oh, where yes. You, where you can order food from different
2: states. I know. I just I sent my order... brother Pertillos from Chicago. <laughs> Oh, and,
0: deep
2: yeah, deep? It's uh, It's It's deep. Uh, no, I got Gino's East. Pertillo's is Italian beef. We ordered Gino's East from Chicago. I ordered Pat's cheesesteak from Philadelphia. Oh, nice. 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 I haven't had Pat's in a long time. The last oh. time I was in Philadelphia, I had it. It was so good. But, you know, you got to <laughs> give yourself self something to look forward to. I, I know, but it's like, I, I, I just like... I can't keep eating like this. It's crazy. <laughs> you
0: know what I did? Speaking of Star Trek, I I, I watched the uh, first movie, um, yeah. and uh, I have a real appreciation for that movie. And I it took me a while. Mark, we must have talked about this. I understand what they were doing. I, it, I had just a deep realization about what they were trying to do, and and how they picked up the movie. At the t- they, they let the time elapse between the, the, the series and the movies, like, was it 10 years? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so the characters years. were in different places in their lives, but the audience wanted to see them as they were. Exactly. Um, and it obviously had a Kubrick kind of vibe to it. Huge Absolutely. Kubrick influence. Um, but I kind of, I'm like, oh, this movie is—it's a lot better than I remembered it. I'm so think, glad to hear you say that. I've always felt that that it's uh, underrated. Uh, I think it is. It, it deserves another look. The, the Enterprise, the model work on that one—I just love. I could, I can watch that Enterprise leaving space dock all day, man.
2: It's really in the last year, particularly with the 40th anniversary, gone through a critical reevaluation. I hear a lot more people. Uh, saying how much they appreciate it. I think also because some people are seeing it on the big screen for the first time last year when Fathom did it. And they realize that this is really a movie made for the big screen. It loses something on television. It
3: uh, does. Gloria's uh, should do an episode about it.
2: We did 9,000 like nine episodes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but it's interesting, you know, particularly because you really defined what the Star Trek, uh film series was for next generation to hear you kind of muse on you know what started it all for the original series well, and you couldn't do a sh- a movie like that now it's 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 so cerebral and so I'm not going to say slow deliberately paced uh there's no way with no villain you know um it would you never could make a movie like that today not for you know a big budget really,
0: no but it it is deliberately paced it, it it's again it's it's 2001 and it's yeah. In its sensibilities and uh, and very sophisticated, like it, it, like and I think Shatner's really good in it. Absolutely, yeah. and
2: um, he is. a great performance.
0: Some good ideas in it and a great soundtrack and and I'm like, it just fell into a, a lot of scrutiny, I guess. Yeah. Um,
2: but it's it's a really good movie, and. Uh... It also reminds me that I didn't, you, you brought up something about old age makeup, looking a little hokey, but there are a couple of places where you've seen you know great old age makeup. And I, I wanted to interject and I didn't at the time, but 2001 makes me think, I thought the Dave Bowman um, makeup uh, is really good. And my other favorite Dick Smith makeup is David Bowie in The Hunger, uh, which yeah. is amazing. Right? Yes. Who's not to see with your mom? Which I saw with my mom in high school. Now that's... <laughs> Yeah. That's, that's terrifying. Uh, no bueno. <laughs> well, what happened was Vincent, <laughs> Vincent Canby reviewed it in the time. And um, so basically my mom said to me, uh, she said, oh, this movie is supposed to be very arty and cool and and, and um, Vincent Canby loved it. We should go see it because I used to see a lot of movies with, with my mom. She got me into like North by Northwest and a lot of like, classics charade. And so we went to see it. It was the most embarrassing thing in the world, you know, because here I am with my mom watching like one of the great lesbian vampire movies of all time but uh you, know, uh, all right. you, got, you got through it
1: i it got through it. who you I are got,
2: today <laughs> i got i got through it and then i to, you know uh, you know I, I i i remember it played on a i was at uh, brown for a summer in in uh, high school and it was playing on a double bill with nosferatu the warner Herzog, not nosferatu and um but we had a curfew they locked up the campus uh but I said, I'm going to see the hunger again. I'm not, you know, I'm, and, and, and I think it was the first and last time I ever climbed a fence to get back into after it was over. You know, I was like, I've got to scale this fence and get back so they'll never know I was gone. But you, you had to see it without your mother. I had, I had that's to. How,
0: and that's how you got through it.
2: That's uh, indeed, indeed. And I've, you know, seen it many times since this is a great laser disc. Warner Archives uh, did a nice uh, Blu ray of it recently. And uh, I, I love the hunger. Anyway. Uh, that talk about going off topic. So, Brandon, this was great. That, I mean, I don't know what we talked about, but it was great.
0: <laughs> it's kind of we talked grab- about everything. Grab- and
2: nothing. It was a little bit of everything, wasn't it? A little bit of everything. But I, I really think that, you know, at some point, we, g- we got to discuss Voyager, you know, with the 25th anniversary and, of course, yeah, yeah. You know, Enterprise as well. So, but look, the, the, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show and talk about um, Star Trek. You have such a great perspective on it. You know, um, there are a few, sorry, go ahead. No, please. I was just saying there are a few people who really become the archivists in a sense, the people that it wasn't just a job. It wasn't just a paycheck. You know, it was that way for Leonard, you know? And, and, uh, I feel like with these modern Trek shows, um, you've become that guy, you know, you, you, you really, um, have a great perspective on it. And, um, you know, you've been very open about the successes and failures that you, you know, you experienced, you know, over those many years. And having been the guy that's on all these shows, it's it's I think it's great. And, and you've been very um, candid and open about it. I mean, the, the stuff that Roger Lay did with you guys was amazing. And, and... Well, don't forget,
0: Mark, you were there, too. Yeah. Like it's I not... was a footnote.
2: No, <laughs> we were we were we were both there. But uh, it, was cool. it was a cool time. I, I wouldn't have traded for anything. I mean, I, 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 you know, being on the outside looking in, it was an incredible experience because it was a different time of press. It was when, you know, there was print press. There wasn't the Internet. You know, the amount of access I had where the publicist would just leave me on set in the morning and let me go wherever I wanted talk to whoever I wanted. I mean, those days don't exist and they will never exist again. I mean, everything's so tightly controlled. And uh, it was it was fantastic. I mean, it was my film school, you know, just talking to you guys and learning about um, how a television show worked and, you know, how the room worked. And, you know, I think it's interesting that Michael hired so many young people because, of course, you know, he, he didn't have to break you of, of, habit, of bad habits, you know? And it seems as though...
0: Well, yes, but I he he really was always looking for somebody with more experience. <laughs>
2: I know, but he never found him
0: other than Jerry, other than Jerry. At Jerry and Jerry was amazing, and uh, but he was always like trying out some more veteran writer, and they just never
2: clicked with the show for some mm-hmm. reason. And he was stuck with these kids. Yeah, um, I know all the guys who would talk to me back in the day, Franco, and Marco, all the guys you know who would just be like have you know just go totally radio silent because they were all so bitter over it not working out um what i h- i know how is jerry have you talked to her in the last couple of no, years no i haven't no she used to
0: i lost touch with her she used to send uh these these um kind of check-in letters to group emails to sure people but i i haven't received one in a while i actually um heard from somebody that she's doing okay but good i don't know i mean i don't know you know i'm hoping that these 25th anniversary voyager stories or they're gonna there are gonna be some things written i'm sure and there's a i heard someone told me they might make a documentary about the show so i'm hoping that she comes out of the woodwork for that
2: yeah i guess david zamponi is, is who did the deep space nine documentary is uh, doing the Voyager documentary, and I'm sure he'll be reaching out to you. And I really hope yeah. I know Jerry doesn't like to talk about the show or any show that she worked on. Uh, now, I mean, she's retired, but I hope she'll make an exception for him so that there's this document. And I hope nobody sings in it um, because that was a problem with the Deep Space Nine documentary. <laughs> but uh, it. someone sings. Oh, a lot of people, a lot of the cast sing. You know, the the, the problem is, you know, because these things are. Crowdfunded, they leaned very heavily into the cast. And I think, you know, it was interesting because Ira produced that documentary or directed it with David. And so there is a, a certain lack of perspective, I guess. It's good, but I actually thought the deleted scenes were actually better than some of the stuff they left in the documentary. Um, what
3: they left behind of what we leave behind?
2: What, what they left, left on the cutting room floor, yes. <laughs> and uh, I, I, but, but overall, Oh, it's a good. You know, it's 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 good. Um, it's a little a little too self congratulatory, and I love that show. But I, I um, I, I'll be very you know, I'll be very curious to see the Voyager documentary and obviously how candid it is, particularly, you know, with the whole. Yeah, well, there's H&M of, stuff.
0: Well, there's a lot of stuff that happened behind the scenes on that show that have never been discussed. No. You know, Controversies and, you know. Uh, I kind of hope don't get discussed but on the other hand you know enough time may be passed. but yeah i mean you want to hear about some of the struggles otherwise it's boring i mean i completely agree like you have to and you're not going to learn anything you know you gotta well i want to know what happened i don't I, i'm not interested in funny anecdotes
2: right totally because the work is the reward and it's obviously stood the test of time because you're doing a documentary for the anniversary, right? So what's interesting is how you overcame those obstacles, Um, you know, rather than certain actors just bitching about how they didn't have enough screen time or anything. I mean, there's such interesting stories. And of course Voyager has built in drama with the whole um, Genevieve Bouchot, the And uh, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot there that, yeah. that's interesting we'll see we'll see yeah. so anyway well listen thank you for joining us and thank you uh i want to thank bill ritter our sound engineer who yeah. always makes it sound sound so good even on zoom our um research consultant peter holmstrom our uh, production coordinator um zach raggets and of course our producer nedley uh miscalia who's hunkered down somewhere in a bunker uh, uh hunkered and, in a bunker. Uh, and uh, uh, of course, if you're a fan of this podcast, join us every Saturday, wherever you listen to podcast, or on the Electric Now app, where you can watch these podcasts. Download Electric Now. You can watch Best Movies Never Made, Trek uh Rebel and the Rogue, uh, Two on Who, and uh, plenty of fantastic shows from the uh, Electric Live. The 430 movie as well. And, uh, <laughs> and, of course, the 430 movie featuring... No, wait, uh,
0: uh, remind, do you guys do the Best Movies Never Made?
2: We, uh, w- 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 it's on our podcast network. Um, it's two guys, Steven Scarlatta producer of Joe Drosky's Dune and the guy who wrote Sonic the Hedgehog, Josh Miller it's a great show. I don't know if you had a chance to listen to it, but no, I remember you mentioned really good. such a great idea. I, I, I it's, it, and they get such great guests. And I think you got to go talk to them about area 51 or some of these other shows, movies that you, you, yeah. you know, worked on. It's that, such
0: a fascinating idea. I, I love that.
2: And uh they're really, really good. Get your book. Get my book. <laughs> Read my book, Rommel, you magnificent bastard. Um it, it's actually it's it's really good. And I only mention it because uh, I think you'll you'll really enjoy it. There's a lot of love for Roger in it. Oh good. Um so anyway, um until next week. Uh probably coming to you via Zoom again. Um keep on trekking. Ingloriously, of course. Shh. Engage. This is a production of the Electric Surge Network.